This week we read The Six Napoleons. Nick, I want a Bepopotamus for Christmas. Welcome to the Final Poplum, the only Sherlock Holmes podcast that did its research this time, but not on anything actually relevant to the story. I'm your host, Nicholas Cohen, and with me I have your other host, Casey Hills. It me, everybody. <laughs> All right. Um, what did you think of the story? I liked it. <laughs> A little racist, oh, but... Nick, before we, before we go here, since you're since you're driving this week, do you mind if I adjust the air? Oh. I'm just going to turn it over here yeah, a little bit absolutely. so it's a little warm. Yeah. I'm facing the sun. If we could just... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do yeah, it. thanks. What you got to do. Okay. <laughs> All right, fine. Is this, is this my camera? Is this the one? It's with the green light. Okay. All right. Yeah. Got the green light. Okay. Just look straight forward. Okay. All right. Yeah, I like this story. <laughs> um, it was... This is an odd one. I'm I'm beginning to feel that, like, we, you know, as we read more and more of these, we find that there are types of Sherlock Holmes stories, you know, categories that they roughly fall into. Mm -hmm. But yeah. even with that, like, everyone is its own weird creature. And this is, uh, this one, I think, I, I believe it approaches the zany. Um, yeah. Oh, it's absolutely. a lot of yeah. run, 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 go, go over here action. And like, <laughs> even when it takes a really dark turn, it stays really lighthearted, uh, mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. Also super racist. Not a fan of that part, Not but really. no. yeah. what are you going to do? Against no. Italians of all people. Like, <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. And like, okay. Long time listeners of semi-auto magic Inc or Dyson virtue, may know that friends of ours occasionally like to accuse me of maligning the Italian people. Not so, my friend. <laughs> I am a regular donor and board member of the Foundation for Diabetic Dyslexic Child Refugees with Chronic Italianism. I do everything <laughs> I can to combat this terrible affliction. And, like, for everything I've said about Italians while watching MasterChef... I'd, I've never said anything that approaches what this story has to say about Italians, which is that I have never described them in terms of stabbiness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I could help it. They really just kind of, like, sum this guy up as, like, he stabs people, and he's Italian, and he's ugly. I think he's described as ugly by, like, three different people. And it's just like, all right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Gross. But... Those are the three things you need to know. So, yeah. Oh, also, uh, I... I noted this is uh, the last, I'm not sure where I found this, but this is the last in-story appearance of Lestrade in the canon. Are you serious? Is it? Yeah. Oh. This is Lestrade's last ride. It's kind of sad because it's a really good one. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, at least he goes out. I mean, that explains why he gets so, so Nick, much you're in the screen time, or page time, I should say. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Well, you're in the driver's seat, man. Why don't you, uh, why don't you take over here? Oh, boy, Let's yeah. Put on the Cohen control. All right. One second, I gotta let my cat in, and then absolutely. <laughs> Everybody, Scout is about to join us. We're gonna have an orange and white kitty cat. She's pretty dang good. She's pretty dang furry. Her name is Scout, and you never ever know, you're never gonna find out what she's thinking about you, except that it's good. She thinks you're great. She thinks she wants to meet Prime Minister Polka Dots. <laughs> Okay, stay. Scout's Scout's pretty good. <laughs> just like, yeah, she is. She's pretty good. okay. Um, she's a she's a butterscotch bandit. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um. So pull this pull this runabout out of the out of the docking bay, Nick. Where do we start? Okay. So um, basically, it starts out. Lestrade's over for like a nice little 
visit, I guess. He's just hanging out. Yeah. And he starts to mention something that he uh, has been dealing with, and then it's kind of like, nah, it's not important. Like, you're not gonna, you're not nah, gonna care. And then Holmes is like, oh, well, absolutely, now I have to know. Now you have to tell me. And apparently it. there's a dude running around who's smashing busts, uh, statues of Napoleon. Um, yep. and... Uh, Bonaparte or dynamite? Oh, dynamite, obviously. Um, this is... <laughs> yeah, okay. but no, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, and he's... The pig from Animal Farm? The what? Oh, yeah, yeah, but... I thought that was later. I thought that was after Sherlock Holmes. I don't know. My classic literature is a little rusty. Um, but yeah. Um, so, so there's just a dude running around. Yep. That was, that was the joke, Nick. That was, the, yeah. That was, that was the joke. <laughs> anyway. I love you, buddy. Okay. So, so a crimesman has been, has been smashing, smashing busts. Yeah. He's been busting up. He's been busting up. And, and Lestrade kind of just thinks that, it's uh the the first suggestion that they throw out is that it was um like just some guy who really hates napoleon and wants to destroy like an so iconic class kind of just out there like yeah but then holmes quickly dismisses it like <laughs> i really don't think because uh at this point there's been burglaries committed and now it's like now it's crime it's it's no longer just some crazy dude out there doing weird stuff it's right. crime now so the first so there's six of these busts uh mentioned throughout the story the first one um it kind of goes through lestrade sitting down and he's talking about like all he knows about the case so far and um right so far uh of, as of this moment four days ago um it's so weird talking about the chronological the chronology in these stories because it changes everyone like the it starts out in one mm-hmm. spot and then it's it can be like over the course of days and then they go back in time and it can go back years uh but anyway yeah it jumps around but yeah so um as of the moment that illustrate is talking four days ago a shop was broken into um a shop that sold pictures and statues and someone specifically Mm -hmm. smashed the bust of napoleon and then kind of just ran out of the shop and did nothing else and they're like all right that's just fled but okay and they kind of got a glimpse of the guy but not really very much to um identify him with uh two days later wait at some point later um the next guy uh who got his house broken into it was this dude who's a doctor he is just a huge napoleon fan apparently and he has two of these but yeah you know like like you do do. um uh and he's got two of these busts one in his uh office like his doctor office and then one up in his house and the first one in his house uh, his house gets broken into, the bust is smashed, I think, in his, like, side yard or something outside. And yeah. then they're like, alright, weird. And then just a couple days later, the one in his office is also smashed. So they're like, alright, now, yeah. now it's like, now, that pretty much just kinda, um, solidifies yeah. that he's not just. Once, once his happenstance, yeah. twice his coincidence, three times his conspiracy. Yeah. Right. And, um, it, it's confirmed that, uh, they're all busts from the same cast, so they're all connected in that way. They're not yeah. just, like, they weren't all, like, sculpted individually. They were made from the same cast by the right. same artist. Um, so, oh, and this this leads this leads into one of the things I really liked about this story, which is that it's, it's really bouncy, and even, like, a guy gets murdered later on, but nothing in the story is taken terribly seriously. It's kind of a romp. Uh, there's a lot of action. There's a lot yeah, of forward motion. It's got a really, ni- like, lighthearted tone for a story that has a murder in it. <laughs> it does, <laughs> yeah. and a lot of that 
comes from the fact that, like, the conversation is really, it's not even, because we've, we've had, like, snappiness in dialogue in other stories, Mm -hmm. but, like, okay, they're, they're talking about these busts. Yeah. And Sherlock says, okay, this is more than coincidence. It can't, it, it has nothing to do with Napoleon. This guy doesn't care about Napoleon because, like, what are the odds of these specific three that were made from the same mold? Mm-hmm. Like, it would be other Napoleon right. things that would be smashed if it was just about Napoleon. Yeah. And, but then, like, they're having this sort of round table and Lestrade counters and says, uh-huh, but, what if these three were the only ones around because we're close to the shop, so they're the nearest three to the shop? Aha, Sherlock. Mm-hmm. And then Holmes says, aha, but, and there's just a lot of, oh yes, but, ah, but I see, but what about this? Yeah. And I don't know, it's, it's just really back and forth and fun. At which point, like, uh, I think Watson says, he, he puts out some expl- no, it was Lestrade, mm-hmm. um, who says, at one point, he just straight says, well, how do you explain it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it is Watson. He's honestly uh, where because Watson is yeah. talking about. They ask him like, "Hey, is there any like psychological thing that might be like do P?" And Watson kind of gives this little like, "Oh yeah, there's this one thing where called like uh, e day fix where people will get just like like fixated on one particular historical figure and they'll just go around like destroying all images of them and." But right. like it's probably and Holmes like immediately shoots it down. He's like, "Oh no, that won't do, Watson. Like it's it's not that." And then right. Watson says, "Well, how do you explain it?" Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, and it's just it's there's there's a lot of like gamesmanship mm-hmm. in this one. They they really they really treat it like a like a game, right? Um, and Sherlock is noticing like he now that now that the question of motive from insanity has been <laughs> stricken, yeah. he's he's looking for real evidence, and he noticed that like okay, so. The one that was taken from this guy's hallway was taken outside before it was smashed, so it didn't wake up anybody in there. But, like, the one in his empty office was smashed right there. So these these are reasoned actions. These are not the actions of a madman, no. which means that there's a motive behind it, which can be discerned and uh, used against him. There's obviously a method to the way this guy's going about it. Um, and so the very, almost the next day, I think. Yeah, the uh, next morning. Yeah, the very next morning, um, this series of episodes continues and the next bust has been smashed this time it's in uh a the house of a journalist and a newspaper a newspaper guy and um yeah also there's like the fantastic mr fox so yeah his his bust has been smashed and also there's just p.s there's been a murder in his house and yeah, there has also been a murder yeah and holmes holmes uh starts doing something really fun before they even get there because lestrade telegrams and says yo come right now serious business xoxo greg mm, yeah and so they're they're heading over and holmes before they even get there starts evaluating the crime by what the onlookers are doing yeah and he names off like two or three he's like oh well look that's a message boy nothing less than attempted murder will hold a message uh london message boy mm-hmm. and oh there's a deed of violence indicated in that fellow's round shoulders and outstretched neck and that's just mm-hmm. a really fun like i can see sherlock totally just like people watching and just figuring people out all day long oh yeah yeah there's there's a scene in one of the other stories where they go and uh I can't remember if this yeah it is from the from the canon um where he go they go to see his brother Mycroft and there's a scene where they're like both standing at the same window looking down at just some random people passing by and they're like Mycroft and Holmes are just talking to each other like giving this lady random lady's whole life story basically just by like other right, observations just playing of deductions just standing yeah. there like this is amazing um and it's really this is like he's just always on basically like immediately he's 
Right. The deduction is just constant. And so, yeah, he's, he's, he, before he even walks in the door, he already knows that there's been a murder, even though Lestrade hasn't said anything about it yet. And, or at least like yeah. a violent crime. And they get there and this journalist is all shaken up. He's like, yeah, I, someone broke into my house and smashed my Napoleon bus that I got for kind of cheap. It's what, that's, that's weird. And also this guy's dead in my hallway. And, um, yeah. So they, you know, he, he examines the scene a little bit and, um, it's kind of funny because like, again, another kind of like light moment here is that they interview the journalist and get whatever they can out of him. And he's just like, of course this would happen to me because now I'm too shaken up to write about this story. And, yeah, <laughs> and then he he's being he's like, being kind of a he's being kind of a real Ferengi about it. Yeah. That like his newspaper is the only one that's that's not gonna have a story on this because it happened to him. And he like mentions another thing in the past where like this happened before, um, where he was like at some horse races. He he was at uh, he says uh, you remember when the stand the fell stand at yeah Doncaster? Well, I was the only journalist in the stand, and my journal the only one that has no account for it, and. He's like, now I'll be too late with a murder done on my own doorstep. And it's just, like, yeah. it's kind of funny. It's sad. Yeah. And you could, like, you, you could see him being kind of a, like, dispassionate little, well, how does this benefit me? This sucks. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I think I think you could really easily see it as, like, a man trying to use his skill set to exert control over a horrifying thing that has happened in his life for no reason. Oh, yeah. This guy just bought a bust of Napoleon. Sure, like, yeah. You know. Yeah, honestly. Um but yeah, so so they interview the guy, um, and uh, actually, uh, and then later on, Holmes kind of like low key helps him out because he uh, after they examine he the scene, he and, tells he tells Lestrade, yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah, he tells Lestrade like, yeah, you know what, go back and if you see that guy, tell him that I'm convinced that it was just some crazy dude. What like they have already decided it wasn't that he was like tell the newspaper guy that so he'll have something to write about it was that it was yeah that it was quote a dangerous homicidal lunatic with napoleonic delusions mm-hmm. yeah. who was in his home last night just so the poor guy will have something to print right which is so good yeah and that like ended up uh eventually serving two purposes by like kind of helping that guy out and also later on you find out he did that um for the reason of like kind of putting like a like a fake news thing out there yeah uh he was lulling the guy into a false sense of security yeah to confuse the actual criminal yeah to to let the actual criminal kind of think that like he was good and could continue to you know he didn't have to like he, he's yeah. trying to do whatever he can to keep to not have the criminal be on guard you know um, right and this is where this is where the forward action of the story really starts and it really it's like a pinball game almost mm-hmm. because yeah. they're bouncing around just from place to place and like if if this were like a game of D&D or even a video game like a Skyrim or a you know Stardew Valley or whatever this would f- just feel like a series of fetch quests mm-hmm. that would c- feel kind of well you're here now you got to take this thing over there but once you get to this place then you have to give this thing to the other person and it would feel kind of exhausting but there's a really there's a fun sort of uh there's an there's just an energy to it and i'm picturing like just like in an old like scooby doo or something where you just see them running from one place to another yeah, like they just yeah. cross the screen just like and a map just, of yeah. london and then just like little icons of them like cartoon images going from like here to here with like a dotted line and stuff yeah it's a ton of fun so okay in the dead man's pocket was an apple 
What kind is never mentioned? Maybe it's a gala. Maybe it's a pink lady. Maybe it's a red delicious. Maybe it's a Brayburn. Maybe it's a northern waxbeard. Maybe it's a black Montalvo. Maybe it's a triple ripple progressive triple. Okay, see, I was Um, wondering, like, as you went on, I was like, how many of these are real? Okay, those are real. And then, like, how many of these are actually real apples? (laughs) Maybe it's an Arkham Asylum. No one knows. Um, But there's an apple, some shillings, Mm -hmm. a knife, uh, I believe some string and a photo, a photograph of the baboon from the speckled band. Yeah. Oh, That's not true. Yeah. And this man, they take this photograph to Morse Hudson's. Morse Hudson being the man from whom these busts have been procured. And they say, yo, do you know this baboon, sir? And <laughs> Morse Hudson confirms that the man was perhaps inevitably called Beppo, <laughs> who did some work for him. <laughs> and like... I don't know that, I, I guess I don't really know enough about Italian nomenclature to say whether or not just calling him Beppo is racist or not, but it feels like a move he could just easily not have made. Honestly, yeah, and he never even gets the last name, I don't think. It's just, he's just Beppo nope. the whole time. Beppo the Italian guy. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't get a second name. No. It's sad. Yeah. But they, they learn uh, where these busts came from, and then they just zoop off there to the second location. Mm-hmm. And they pass through fashionable London, hotel London, theatrical London, literary London, commercial London, underground London, mm-hmm. moon London, and finally maritime London mm-hmm. to find the sculpture works. And that was a lot of fun because I just pictured them like rushing through, but in every section, like somebody gets distracted by something and you just see them carrying like Lestrade had to stop for a new hat. Yeah, and in yeah. the next section, like Sherlock has like a big old coffee or something. And they got like a handful of literary London and they got like a handful of books and then commercial London. They got like, I don't know, some like. Exactly. Yeah. They had to stop for fish and chips. Yeah. It's, it was a lot of fun. This feels, this really feels a lot less like a, um, it's not a Sherlock is brilliant and impresses everyone and is a singular power story. Mm-hmm. It's like Sherlock, Lestrade, and Watson are all doing this together. And I think that's what makes it feel so so Scooby-Doo. It really is kind of like Buddy. It almost feels like one of those police dramas where, like, they're all just pals yeah. and they all just joke with each other all the time about the crime and they're just, like, you know, teasing each other. Lestrade, this, this, it is. this story has, like, the least Lestrade bashing from Holmes that, of, like, all the other stories. He's just... He's very yeah, much just real. their pal who's and, helping him out. Yeah, and even when he gets real policey at him, like he does he does get kind of bitchy, but even then he has good points like yeah, re crime yeah. that we'll right. get to, and I think that's Right. Like there's part obviously of it, but... like a level of respect there that they've just built over yeah. all these years and like maybe a little bit of a friendship too, but they're still kinda like at this point it's like they're not so much as opposed to like if you compare it to Study on Scarlet, where they're just like actively kinda like I don't know. Like he's trying to like earn Holmes adversarial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's much more adversarial, and Holmes makes fun of Lestrade a lot behind his back, um, and in front yeah. of him sometimes. Much more amicable, <laughs> much more of a world's best frenemies. Yeah, thing. and now yeah. it's just kind of like, oh yeah, like they'll they'll say what they're gonna do, and they're like, oh well, we can agree to disagree, kind of thing. Like you have your methods, and yeah. I have mine, type of deal. It's fine. Yeah. So they they present the picture of Beppo, and the manager instantly recognizes him. Mm-hmm. Um, and says that he has no idea why these busts that he made should, like, be particularly smash-worthy. <laughs> but he says, yeah, I remember that cat, Beppo. He stabbed another Italian and then came to work afterwards. Like you do. Yeah, you know, just casual. Um, yeah, yeah, that's part of their cultural heritage. Yeah, I don't know. Stabbing. I just assumed it was some Italian yeah. holiday. Yeah, just he's like, well, him, as long you know, you docked him half a work. day. Your business is yours. God. What are you do in your off time? It's I- so bad. 
Because, like, they, they, here's the thing, like, Doyle has been insensitive in the past with respect to other ethnicities, with your street Arabs mm. and your uh, gypsies and whatnot. But he really, he does seem to refer to Italians almost, like, interchangeably. Like, this Italian, three Italians, that Italian over mm. there. And uh, it's it's just, it's really unpleasant, but in a really innocent way. Like, he doesn't, he clearly doesn't do it out of hate, but he also doesn't understand why it's not all right. Yeah, I mean, it's, I literally just kind of forgot that Italians were a group that were particularly discriminated against yeah. in history. It's just kind of like, I don't know, I, that, but that definitely was a thing. You wouldn't know it from watching MasterChef. Mafia, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> no, I, okay, so, okay, I, I worked in reality television for a number of years, mm. and uh, one of the programs I worked on was MasterChef, and like, Part of the process there is that they need to take your personhood and who you are and boil it down into, like, one or two things the audience can Oh, yeah, remember. like one trend. Like, you're the this guy. Exactly. Yeah, like, you're the tomato guy. You're the Italian yes. guy. Yeah. Exactly. If you're Italian, if you're from New York, if you're from Boston, usually you're all three, <laughs> and uh, you're just, you're going to hear about it for the rest of forever. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, so, Italians... We love you. You did not deserve this story. Uh, please make with the rigatoni, because I would love some. So, uh, they go to, I believe, a third location now uh, to learn about these busts that were made by Beppo. Yeah. And uh, due to due to some early forensic bookkeeping, they, uh, they figure out that Beppo was fired shortly after um, the completion and sale of these busts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, they go to the actual studio where the busts are being made and find out that yeah. that information. And then after that, um, after that, what happens? Oh, I do want to yeah. say that this is this story. Part of what makes it so fun is that it is full of capital C characters, mm-hmm. like the uh, like Morse Hudson, the guy who runs the um, the first Emporium. I, I highlighted this because it's just the wildest thing I've ever read. <laughs> this is. Listeners, this is one block of unbroken text, I promise you. So there, there's not a lot of dialogue in this story. There's, instead of, you know, who did the crimes, Sherlock asked, we get, Holmes asked about who did the crimes. It's a lot of, yeah. you know, sort of passive third person But the blocks of dialogue we get are fantastic. And Morse Hudson says, Yes, sir, on my very counter, sir. What we pay rates and taxes for, I don't know when any ruffian can come in and breaks one's goods. Yes, sir, it was I who sold Dr. Barnacardi's two statues. Disgraceful, sir. A nihilist plot. That's what I make it. No one but an anarchist would go about breaking statues. Red Republicans. That's what I call them. Where'd I get the statues from? I don't see what that has to do with it. Well, if you really want to know, I got them from Gelderb and Cohen Church Street, Stepney. They're a well-known house in the trade and have been these 20 years. How many had I? Three. Two and one of three. Two of Dr. Barnacott's and one smashed in broad daylight on my own counter. Do I know that photograph? No, I don't. Yes, I do, though. Why, it's Beppo. He was kind of an Italian piecework man who made himself useful in the shop. He could carve a bit and gild and frame and do odd jobs. Fellow left me left week, and I've had nothing from him since. Now, I don't know where he came from, nor where he went to. I have nothing against him while he was here. He was gone two days before the bust was smashed. And that's mm-hmm. the end of that character. It's just... I love he, that... Honestly, that it was whole so just good. speech, yeah. <laughs> if it's an in, it's an entire like, if this were a longer procedural detective story, that's an entire chapter of investigation just boiled down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's just offering up all this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so good because it could have they like 
what would have it like you don't even need to hear Holmes asking the questions because he repeats the questions. Exactly. It's just one whole thing. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. Um it's and really he just good. gives this guy his own voice and everything. Yeah. Doyle's really one thing I really like yeah. about Doyle is he's so good at giving inconsequential characters just like whole personalities. Like he really just sits down and thinks. He about really it. does. Yeah. Um, yeah. as long as they're white. And that's what makes the like the second <laughs> the, as long as oof, yep. Uh, and the second, the second shopkeeper we meet is described as a brisk, crisp little person, very dapper and quick, with a clean head and a ready tongue. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There he is. Why not? That's the whole guy. I can. I already <laughs> see Hashtag him. Hashtag relatable. Him. Yeah. No. Yeah. I feel like I'm inhabiting this world. Awesome. Um, so yeah, they do they do some forensic bookkeeping and then they return to Baker Street to uh compare notes because the whole premise of this part of the story was that like Lestrade was convinced it was one crime, Holmes was convinced it was another. He said, "Okay, you go do your light of investigation, we'll do ours. We'll meet up at Baker Street, we'll compare notes, we'll have a little nosh, we'll mm-hmm. have a little wine. It'll be a lovely evening." Mm-hmm. So they return to Baker Street and oh lord, Nicholas, <laughs> ain't Lestrade just in a lather? Why yep. is he so upset? Oh, yeah, so Lestrade is convinced that this actually has nothing to do with the busts whatsoever, and it's just about murder. Right. Um, and yep. so he finds... The mafia. Yeah, so he... Uh, let's see, he captures the guy, he captures Beppo, um, yep. and, reali- and pins him as uh, a member, like, just uh, kind of like a ruffian-type character. He's a, connected to the mafia mafioso. somehow. Yeah. Um, he has mafia connections. A mafia, and... which which is which is described as a secret political society enforcing its decrees by murder. And like I've, I don't claim to be an especial connoisseur of the mafia, but I, I feel like political society is not high on the list of. Yeah. I mean, I guess crime and crime and politics do go hand in hand. I just I don't see in the Godfather. It's like. We're gonna get that school district rezoned. Like what? I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I'd, I'd be here for like, it though. Yeah, they mentioned like princesses and stuff later, so I figure it's kind of just like there was there was a level of like royalty and rich people doing rich people stuff, and you know, sure. their drama kind of you know it's connected to like power yeah. basically. More and po- power and politics right. tend to go together to a certain degree. Um, that's true. I guess, but maybe, I don't know, but still, like, yeah, anyway, not the, not the image of the mafia that we ever get in any media whatsoever, <laughs> that's for sure. No, not, uh, um, not the one that Al Pacino gave us. I've, I've seen one Godfather movie, Uh, so, they've yeah. decided, that's a good movie, man. Um, yeah. sorry, I got distracted thinking about the Godfather. God, it's I wanted like, to watch that. Okay, there sure so, was, there sure was yes, a murder they in have that. Re- they're definitely yeah several murders um we so they reassemble at baker street uh to compare notes um lestrade as we mentioned believes that it is mafia related murder and holmes says okay look we'll go with you to the italian quarter to arrest beppo which is what you want to do but first you need to come to chiswick with me later tonight everybody we're gonna have some dinner we're gonna have a nap lestrade (laughs) you have a lie down on yon couch and I'm going to go rummage in the newspaper room for a while because I am so bougie that I have a newspaper room. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, wait, Which, I mean, I guess if oh, it was... one of our lumber rooms was packed, yeah. Oh, so With it, newspapers, yeah. yeah. I, and I guess if if it was your stock and trade to be, like, up on current events, and it, it makes sense that they would have a newspaper right. system. Yeah. You know what you never see? In, in most of the... Uh, 
in most of the incarnations, and certainly at the beginning in Study in Scarlet, Sherlock is described as voraciously consuming, like, sensationalist literature, like your Penny Dreadfuls and stuff. That never comes up. Yeah, not really. I mean, it, that, is that fiction? The Penny Dreadful thing? Is that that's no, fiction, right? The Penny... Well, no, I mean, they were they were real, but they were, like, sensationalized stories. Oh, yeah. They were, um, yeah, you know, sort right. of cheap thrillers, like Sweeney Todd was yeah, a Penny Yeah, you would dreadful. think that he wouldn't, like, bother with those because they were so, like, unrealistic. They were so fake. But, like, I guess maybe right. he has ways of getting possible facts out of maybe something. getting like, something from them yeah, yeah but i i don't know i just like the idea that they're his secret vice and i want to hear more about that right that, like they you know there's a crime at a, at a publishing house that makes his favorite series or something <laughs> that would have been fun yeah but so it's later that night holmes <laughs> has planted a false clue in the newspaper for it to bamboozle the buster and he suggests that he and watson both go armed a quote four-wheeler arrives to collect them which almost certainly refers to a carriage of some kind but that's not what i pictured <laughs> now what did you picture casey i need to well, you know. know well you know like those like those quads like a you know like a like, a, like an atv kind yeah, of thing four wheeler kind of like just zipping down the but like, like a what, steampunk Nicholas? version like of what one. like like a like an atv or something but like a steampunk version where it's like a steampunk a atv like, yeah yes. the guy driving it was like the big old goggles but like also a top hat Exactly. Yeah. Prime Minister Polka Dot is put on like a like a leather helmet mm. and riding gloves. <laughs> ah, so good. Yeah. Okay, so they get to they get to uh Laburnum Villa, which has gone to bed for the evening. What happens next, Nicholas? They're yeah, so they wait uh they, they arrive at this place and um Holmes kinda just like, Alright, like to the straight and Watson, like, I'm afraid you guys are gonna have a long I'm worried that we're having a long wait. Um I'm glad it isn't raining. Like he's just sitting here kind of expecting it to take forever and then almost immediately they see yeah. the guy so he's so it's just kind of like all right yeah. cool um so yeah they see the guy go into this house uh they watch him get the bust basically and bring it out in front of the house and then cuff him and um do they does he smash it before they uh before they get to him or i can't remember does it say I, yes he does yeah. he he smashes it first yeah. and his distraction in so doing is what allows the dudes to uh get the drop on him literally in holmes's case it says that it says that holmes sprang on him like a tiger <laughs> and i like to think he's been taking some lessons from prime minister polka dots that like you know what they couldn't print was that when sherlock sprang on him he went, rawr, rawr, just, <laughs> obviously yeah it's just details the urban crime tiger <laughs> um but yeah so they yeah so he smashes the bust uh specifically underneath a lamp and uh and then they they cuff the guy they've got him and um they kind of like examine the 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 similar fragments every every bust is just kind of like it's not just broken it's just destroyed um it pulverized it specifically says to, to atoms, atoms yeah, yeah which i really like and will be using in the future um and for real so yeah let's see and then after that they oh yeah holmes 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 says that it's it's too late it's too late for explanations so everybody come by baker street tomorrow we'll have a little sponge cake we'll have a little wine we'll have some exposition it'll be great right, yeah, no, he's like all right it's pretty late you got time to go home we got the guy we're good i can this explanation can wait and it's yeah, you're not going anywhere yeah, and so they so the very next morning um they are all sitting around waiting kind of like waiting for holmes to give his explanation which he got from all of that research that he did earlier mm -hmm. which he does but first he a guy shows up at the house and he's just kind of like a normal looking guy uh and he's got yep. a carpet bag with him 
and in the bag is the last, the sixth Napoleonic bust. And he is kind of just like, all right, I got it. Like, what, you're you're going to give me 10 pounds for this, but I'm going to, like, I'm not, and then he says, I'm not going to lie. Which, which is orders of magnitude more than he paid right, for yeah, it. exactly. He's like, I paid, like, four shillings or something, but if you really, like, are you sure you want to, like, and I was like, yeah, no, absolutely, 10 pounds, here you go, uh, sign this. He makes him, like, give him a receipt and everything just to be like, this is mine now, you don't. You don't, like, own it anymore. It's no big deal. And the guy's like, cool, all right, thank you. This is, you know, this is great. And then he leaves. And they've got the bus there. Yeah. See, here's, well, here's, here's, here's the thing, Nicholas. Mm -hmm. So, like, I've seen a heist movie. So (laughs) I, you know, I kind of got the idea by this point that one of these busts must have something valuable. Right. Right. I don't think that's, that's too hard for the reader to put together. But, like, Holmes makes a really big deal of paying this guy the, the ridiculous amount of money. So, like, he offered him, a hundred dollars for a bus that he paid five dollars for. And Holmes acts like he's being super gracious. But, like, if this thing contains something super valuable, isn't that still ripping the dude off by, like, a lot? Yeah, I totally thought of that, too. I was like, all right, like, he did. it was nice of him to give him, like, a pretty big amount of money for it just to assure that he would actually sell it. But, yeah. like, he really didn't pay him any more than he needed to pay him to get him there to sell he him didn't. the thing. Like, especially and knowing... like, there's no guarantee he would ever find it, admittedly. But yeah. like, if I, you know, if I read later, you know, bar of gold found in thing, this guy paid me twenty bucks for it. Like, I'd be pissed off, right? Like, if I was this guy, like the next day, reading about it in the paper, and just being like, "Wait, what the fuck?" Like, I would, yeah, I would feel super ripped off. I would, like, yeah. If I were Holmes, I'd be worried about that guy showing up again and just being like, "Hey," but I mean, fair's fair, technically. I mean. It's yeah. It, it, well, and the question I kind of just was sitting here, like weighing whether this was a dick move or not, and it's just couldn't really come to a decision. <laughs> well, that that hinges the answer to that. I believe hinges on a question we haven't had a chance to address yet. So uh, Sherlock now has this bust. He sets it down. What happens next? Okay, so yeah, he he kind of just dramatically puts he puts a cloth down. He puts the bust on top of it, and then he takes his takes his hunting crop, which is his favorite weapon. Um, as described by Watson early in the story. Um, and he just like gives it a big, a good whack over the head. Um, and mm-hmm. <laughs> symbolic, maybe, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Napoleon, I don't know. Like, Napoleon, I don't know. He's kind of, a... um, but yeah, so he, so he cracks the, he cracks the bust open. <laughs> I don't know what, I really don't know where I was going with Nick, that. I'm going to have a very firm stance on Napoleon very briefly. <laughs> no, not really, I don't. Um, but yeah, he lays the bust out. Um, on the table, and then just gives it a sharp blow over the head with his hunting crop. The thing busts open. The the bus busts open. Thank you. Very good. Yes, thank you. Um, and yep. had to be done. Then he kind of digs around in the in the remains in the pieces for it, and emerges with a round dark object um, fixed in his hand like a plum in a pudding. So I'm not British, so I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but right. Uh, and then he turns around and he says, gentlemen, let me introduce you to the famous Black Pearl of the Borgias. And did I pronounce that right? Yes. Okay, good. Um, and uh, close enough, pr- probably. I don't know. I don't know. Well, well if, if, if this, if this story has taught us anything, it's that they're Italian, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and then, that was not me, listeners. That was, I'm probably going to cut right, that. Never mind. Come right. on. <laughs> so from there, it just launches into the backstory time where he gives, um, he, he kind of just, uh, expositions the result of all of the research he just did the night before 
um, yeah. and how he knew it was going to be in yeah, there this, and traces it back. Yeah, this uh, this famous and valuable clam turd was uh, pilfered by an Italian maid who gave it to her brother, who got stabbed for it by Beppo, who hid it in a Napoleon, which was bought by this guy before Beppo was arrested for a year, and the six Napoleons were scattered to the winds in an event known to historians as the Bonaparte Diaspora. So he tracked the busts down with the help of uh, more incredibly offensive Italian stereotypes <laughs> and uh, then proceeded to go on the smashing spree to which we were introduced at the beginning of the story. Yeah, so it kind of just gives you the whole... The story from the other end going the other way. Yeah. Where we were following it backwards, and this is where they met. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so... That, and, yeah, that was pretty much that's pretty much it. And he's like, cool, I have this now. That's, that's it. <laughs> they literally... Yeah, okay, <laughs> see, that's the thing. So, like... Is Holmes he, Holmes tells Watson to put this pearl in the safe mm. and to get the notes on some other case they were working on to see if they can't you know crack that one open no yeah no rest for the wicked but like is Holmes keeping that or turning it into the authorities because like, I literally the wonder were this a notoriously every time. corrupt family yeah because yeah. there's quite a few stories where like that like similar to this one where they result in Holmes having a valuable jewel or some other item that's worth a just a yeah. ridiculous amount of money and i'm just one i'm sitting here and they never tell you what he does with it it's just like he puts it in the safe and yeah. like i assume that like there's another one uh where like which is the christmas episode basically called the blue carbuncle where it's like a similar thing and he just kind of has it at the end of the story and i'm like what okay so does he just keep that is that just his now like does he give it to a museum yeah. does he like return i think in that case it actually belonged to someone so i assume he would return it to the owner but like in this case it's well, like this is just basically a historical artifact at this point. Like, yeah, the, like where's the? But end then again, scene like this just, this whole yeah. thing. <laughs> but this whole thing was kind of unofficial because, like, as far as the police were concerned, there was a whole other thing going on. So, like Lestrade, in the context of Sherlock and Watson's pal, knows about this, but like the police as an entity don't. Mm -hmm. As far as they were concerned, it was a mad Italian and the mafia, right? So I don't know, and that the answer to that question, what Holmes does with this pearl, because he doesn't—he doesn't need money. No. He couldn't care less about money. But like he but legally owns he it now. Trophies. It's his. He bought it. Off does the he? Sky. That's the question. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the legal precedent of finders keepers. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> But yes. yeah, and there was a moment they literally applaud mm. for Sherlock, and then everyone stands up and claps. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. he's a performer, and like all performers, he needs attention to live. He and they attention. have yeah. a moment. The quote goes: uh, "Holmes, he doesn't. I don't think he quite blushes, but he does clearly enjoy the attention." Mm. And this quote. The same singularly proud and reserved nature, which turned away with disdain from popular notoriety, was capable of being moved to its depths by spontaneous wonder and praise from a friend. Which is actually really sweet. I love that. Yeah, there's in the, um, I mean, I mentioned this, the TV series a lot, but in the 80s TV series with yeah. Jeremy Brett, there's, this scene is like, just stuck in my memory forever because it's so nicely acted like the guy who plays the straight yeah. is amazing he's hilarious but this but he's also very good at being like serious and you don't see him very serious on the show he's usually just like a bit caricature -y. but in this moment he just gets very serious and he's like 
Holmes, like he, and he gives that whole, he, he says, uh, I've seen you handle a good many cases, Mr. Holmes, but I don't know that I ever knew a more workmanlike one than that. We're not jealous of you at Scotland mm-hmm. Yard. No, sir. We're very proud of you. And if you come down tomorrow, there's not a man from the oldest inspector to the youngest constable who wouldn't be glad to shake you by the hand. And in the scene, mm-hmm. um, he just gets really serious and says this and Holmes and, Holmes responds originally with just being like, oh, thank you. And he kind of just like gives like a really quick nod. And then he just kind of stops and he looks back up and just very like totally different tone of voice and very sincere. Like he just says, thank you again. And it's just like, like, it's just, it's so moving when it happens because it's just like, you're so used to seeing them just kind of bickering and constantly. But this, in this moment, it's just a genuine like, hey, you're really good at this. And I'm just giving you the appreciation that you you know, don't ever really get, honestly. It's like he solves these cases and yeah. half, t- half of the time, more than half the time, the credit goes to the police. So it's just kind of cool that like Lestrade, who could easily just be like soaking up all of these wins that Holmes is delivering and all of these yeah, bad guys. Yeah, because Holmes doesn't care. Yeah, no, he doesn't care about the, you know, he professedly doesn't care about the credit. He's just doing it for the work. But also like, he does kind of low-key care, and it's just every now and then you just see that. Bit. Like, it's nice to... He doesn't need the public recognition, but having recognition from someone who's, like, almost on his same level of crime-solving slash intelligence mm-hmm. and stuff. Because Lestrade's not an idiot. Like, he, he still right. is pretty good at his job. Um, Just having the recognition from, like, a peer is just... It's nice to see Holmes get that, kind of, you know? And it's just a cool mm-hmm. little exchange there. That reminds me... Not not to put us on the the level of Holmes and Lestrade, but like we uh, this happened last night, which is going to date oh, the yeah? episode. But uh, one of our followers, I text you about this. One of our followers, a uh, lovely gentleman by the name of Chris Daly, uh, mm-hmm. started. He's an he's an avid birder and started posting uh, just thematically appropriate birds for every oh, one of gosh, our episodes. Oh my gosh, I saw that. It was so cool. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's the coolest fucking thing. And like our other followers are like, "Oh, I'm a birder too. You chose a real good bird for this episode." And I, it's it's <laughs> what? I don't god. It's, it's something it's out of my control now. It's become its own thing. But my point yeah. is that like, you know, on the Twitter, we try to maintain like a good goof presence. Like we we play with the the fans a lot. We've got lovely people who tweet at us, and it's it's so great. It's a great community and a great experience. But like mm-hmm. that same that same fellow, uh, Chris Daly, that same fellow who's posting these pictures, just said something really sincere. He said that, and I didn't I, to, to my shame, I didn't know this, but he was one of a long time listeners of the other shows. That we've done with, you know, me and Dylan and Thony and Jackie did, mm. uh, did semi-automagic ink several years ago and then Dyson Virtue after that and the new season of Dyson Virtue right now. Like he's, he's been a listener of ours the entire time we've been a thing, which is like five years. Wow. And I didn't, I didn't know that. I couldn't have known that. And he, he just said this really lovely, sincere thing about how, like, how much the quality of the show has improved and how much he's enjoyed listening and not to the the point is not like yeah this guy thinks we're great Mm. what about that but i mean like to just have someone say like i think you guys make a good thing and just to know that we've been a positive like experience or factor in this person's life uh was it was it genuinely um yeah <laughs> was it genuinely like touching it's so... a really sweet thing that i i didn't expect on the twitter where we make the good goofs right yeah it's it's kind of like one of the 
One of the things I want to say, I almost said one of the few good things. I'm low-key anti-internet, but not, like, one of the few good things no, about... It's, it's understandable. Yeah, you, you have to be aware of that. About social media specifically is that every, it gives, like, uh, not really ever... Uh, I don't know. How am I trying to say this? Like, it gives an opportunity that wasn't ever really there before for fans of some, Mm -hmm. for any form of art to directly communicate with the creator. Twitter specifically. Yeah, Yeah. Twitter specifically. So it's like, and you always think of that as like people tweeting at celebrities and celebrities responding to tweets and being like, oh my gosh, they replied. But like, I have no, like, like illusions about, like, I'm literally just making this show for fun. I don't expect people to ever reply to it. But Right. But yet, like, it does. People do listen to it. And just the thought that, like, like, realizing, like, so directly like that, that people hear your stuff and it, like, that something you Mm -hmm. made made someone's day just a little better is just, like, it's the point. It's kind of It really is the point. Yeah. You know? It's it's so humbling. Mm -hmm. It's so humbling and, uh... It's it honestly like internet. It's an honor and a privilege. <laughs> yeah. Like we, as you know, as Nick said, we we just do this for fun and for the good goofs. But like the, I, I don't know. Just the idea that you folks voluntarily listen to this and enjoy anything we have to say is um is uh, like humbling. Really, is the word. It's wonderful. It's super awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of uh my original point was that that's kind of the moment that Holmes and Lestrade have was that like mm-hmm. they set down this sort of like faux adversarial frenemy relationship and I think this kind of felt like it could easily have been like just the last story. It had all the hallmarks and it ended on a really sweet note. Oh, yeah. uh, it felt like this could have been a goodbye to these characters. It could have been and maybe it should have been, I don't know. But <laughs> cuz some of the cuz some of the later stories are just like really not that great but um but yeah this one yep. this one is speaking of which really yeah yeah what do we what do we what do we what are we reading next nick did you have something in mind or do you want to choose from the canon list here um i don't have anything particularly in mind uh when do you okay. you can edit this bit out but when do you want to do uh one of the novels do you want to like start reading those at some point like soon and then you know it obviously it'll take a bit we could do like short stories in between right or something like that well i i thought we could do the novels like we did the first one like we did study in scarlet we could just do it in parts like in sequential so you know two three episodes whatever but um honestly i i kind of like the the random aspect we're doing and i thought it would be fun to just like hit a novel when we hit a novel okay yeah that works sure okay do you want to ask siri okay cool so nicholas Yeah, well, why don't you why don't you go ahead, Nicholas? Why don't you uh, choose us a number between one and fifty-two? All right, let's see. Um, what's the forty-fourth Sherlock Holmes story? Oh, I'm going kind of late. Never mind. Hold mm. on. Um, yeah, no, let's keep it forty-four. Four is my lucky number. So the forty-fourth <laughs> Sherlock Holmes story is oh no, it's the Three Gables, which we already tried to read but couldn't because racism. Oh no, never mind. Never mind. Okay, I'll, no, I'll go ahead and delete <laughs> abort, that. Abort. I'll go ahead and delete that. Um, all right. Abort. So and the new okay, the new about, the new forty-fourth. How about yes, forty-five? Okay. The new forty-fourth one. Twenty-five. Four. Okay, let's yeah, see. 25. 25 is 1904's The Priory School. Okay. Yeah. From from what I remember, I think that one's. That one's fun, yeah. From what I remember, cool. I say remembering right. nothing, but <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that's 
That's pretty on brand. Okay, so we're going to read the Priory School for next time, all our folks and friends. Uh, please do find us on Twitter. Uh, again, just the idea that you would listen to this thing and care enough about what we have to say to log on and say literally anything at all is absolutely baffling, and we would <laughs> love to hear from you. Um, you know what else? I just want to say, like, the podcast community is a really wholesome and welcoming and friendly place. Like, you will never find better, more helpful people than other people who are just trying to make their stupid thing and get it out of there. It really and, is, um, yeah. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you to all all the podcasts uh, that follow us. Uh, mm-hmm. Happy Go Lucky just followed us. Good Game, Great Game has been following us uh, since our first episode came out. You should definitely go listen to them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, find us, get at us, and tell us what you think. Check out the birds that that <laughs> dude whose name I might redact because I don't know if I want to dox him like that posts <laughs> everywhere. The birds are so good! I love um, birds already. Obviously, I already said owls are my favorite animal. Oh, wait, I don't know if I've said this on the air, yes. but I'm saying it now. Owls are my favorite animal, yeah. but I love every bird, and I followed his account immediately after seeing, like, yeah. that whole exchange, and just... It's yeah. just enhanced my no, whole life. I love it. He's all the time. I want to see every all the time bird. posting posting pictures of real good feather boys. Yep. It's real good. All the birds are so good. <laughs> uh, and read the Priory School for next time, all our buddies. Yes. Until then, there's a no. Wait a minute. I was gonna make a joke about busting two electric boogaloo, but then I remembered that it's uh it's breaking two is the movie. Uh, so never mind. Yeah. That joke didn't work. That joke didn't don't, work. Wait, there's bust a bust it. joke. Got uh, uh, don't, but, but don't anyway. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. <laughs> bust don't a cap. don't bust a cap bust a at move. a mocha frap. Bust a yeah yeah I guess bust a but don't bust moves. Bust rhymes. Bust okay okay. I'm hitting stop. <laughs> <laughs> Cut me off, pal.